every day brings us closer. Closer to the moment when the next generation of NFL stars learn their destiny. And franchises try to lay the foundation for the next dynasty. Whitney Birkman. This is First Draft. Now alongside NFL Draft Insiders Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, here's Chris Brown. Welcome to the, uh, I guess we can call it the way too early first draft for 2019's draft. We got about 250 days. Mel, what does your advent calendar say? I'm worried about Christmas before I worry about the draft. All right, cool. Yeah, so basically how I thought this would work is, Mel, we just have McShay do a mock draft. Yeah, he already did one. <laughs> this will be number two coming up. Yeah. I'm Chris Brown. We have tear Todd, that up. We have Todd McShay. We have Mel Kuyper, the people you want to hear from. Bottom line, let's just let's just set the stage for this season, the players we're going to be watching. Um, Todd, I think you should get us kicked off. I know you got nine of your top 13 players right now. It's early for the 2019 class on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of them on the D-line. And you're in Houston, and you're about to see Ed Oliver. Tell us about this guy and why the Aaron Donald comps might not go away. You know, there, it's not, there's no such thing as a perfect comparison. But when it comes to the quick first step, you know, an undersized guy, I mean, they both, I think Aaron, Aaron Donald was what, 285, I want to say, at the combine. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was six, he was, I don't even think he was six one. I think he was six foot, three quarter inches. Yeah, fire and, board. um, yep. mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, Ed Oliver's listed at 6'3", but standing next to him, six I would one. guess he's a, he's a, yeah, 6'1", six six one, one maybe 6'1 and change. So, so, you know, 285, 290, right around that same height and weight. Then you have the quick first step. Now, I think Oliver probably plays with a little bit more leverage and power in his game. He's got a, that initial pop, whereas Donald, not that he couldn't, but Donald was always so great firing out of his stance and and remains so great, it, um, using that quickness to kind of catch an offensive lineman off guard, and then he's so good with his hands. I think that's an area that that um, Ed Oliver can continue to improve upon. But then the other thing that really I think the comparison rings true is with the motor and intensity. I mean, I, I just remember watching Donald every snap, play after play, talking to his coaches, Mel, saying that he was the best practice player they've ever been around. And I'm getting the same thing from the Houston coaching staff, and I see the same motor on tape. And it's it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Mel, I'll tell you what. We just saw Khalil Mack get a whole stack of money. We just saw Aaron Donald get a whole stack of money. It's, we always talk about getting quarterbacks on those rookie deals, whether it's Prescott, whether it's Jared Goff, whether it's Russell Wilson. His rookie deal helped Seattle win a title. I'll tell you what, what they're paying great D linemen, great pass rushers makes me think Nick Bosa, Rashawn Gary, Cleveland Farrell, obviously Ed Oliver, this whole crew, you start thinking about that position that way. Yeah, I think the interior pressure, uh, obviously with Donald. I think when you look at guys in college football right now, you got Jeffrey Simmons at Mississippi State and Montez Sweat, both at Mississippi State, inside, outside presence, off to a good start. I was against a one double A opponent. They play at Kansas State. That's a noon kickoff this week. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game because now you get up against Alton Risner and that offensive line, which will be better than what they saw last week. So a better evaluation game there. The Clemson kids playing on the road at Texas A&M, McCoy, the center at A&M, better matchup for them from an evaluation standpoint. So uh, I think we're moving along now where we get into 
into these different weeks of the season where you can get a better handle as opposed to a one double A opponent. But right now, the uh, the defensive line, Jalen Jelks off to a nice start. Uh, but again, the competition will start to improve as we move along here. So I think uh, yeah, you look at the defensive line, Todd, arguably the best group of defensive linemen from top to bottom. Maybe in the history of what we've seen over the last, say, how far would you go back to say this is the best defensive line group? Oh, geez. <clears throat> I'd have to go back and really study it, but I, I can't remember a group that was this top-heavy. You know, we're legitimate. I mean, you are the first five players on my board are defensive linemen. Ed Oliver, Nick Bosa, Rashawn Gary, Michigan, then the two Clemson guys, and Dexter Lawrence, Christian say, Wilkins. Safe to say that's never happened before. Yeah, and I and I I'm not saying it will happen that those will be the first five players off the board, but I I do think that assuming all of them come out early, they're all going to be top ten to top twelve picks in the in the class. And then you've got Raquan Davis from Alabama, Cleveland Farrell, Derek Brown last week, who I, I watched absolutely dominate that Washington offensive line, and and just he, I mean, he's gonna if there's such thing as really rising from the 12 spot, I think he's, his arrow is pointing up. I think Zach Allen from Boston College is an underrated player. You mentioned Montez Sweat. I mean, it's just, it's so deep with talent this year. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. And another kid just to throw outside of the first round, uh, Cortez Broughton from Cincinnati. Yeah, it didn't, wasn't as dominant as you would have hoped considering the talent, but I think when you look at the UCLA game and the production in that game for Broughton where he was a dominant force allows him to maybe get some looks as we move forward through the process and certainly maybe rise up the board. So it's, it's just a well stacked at the top and certainly the depth, uh, you know, with other guys like Broughton, uh, that could end up being, uh, you know, fairly decent draft choices come late April. Todd, you mentioned him, but give us the quick, give us the quick 411 on Nick Bosa. He doesn't quite have the totals Joey Bosa had in terms of stats through his first two seasons. I would contend, and I think you've mentioned this before, they've just rotated a ton of defensive linemen, so he hasn't had to be out there, but it seems like on an every, on a per play basis, he's been a monster. He has been. And you know what? It's, it's almost eerie watching him on tape because he looks (laughs) so much like his brother. I mean, there are times where I, I, I kind of have to remind myself I'm not watching Joey. And now, listen, he can continue to improve in terms of his hand usage and get to that elite, elite level that Joey was at. But Nick is, is still one of the best technicians with his hands in, in all of college football. And, you know, you can, there are some, you can go back and forth on like the speed and size and, and all that stuff. But when you break it down, they look very similar. They play with the same intensity. They're both technically sound. They both are slippery when it comes to the point of attack and they always rush half the offensive linemen. They don't allow linemen to get into their pads. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to continue to be dominant this year. And we've seen what, what Joey has gone on to do with the Chargers. And I think Nick is going to have that kind of career in the NFL as well. This is the defensive line version of the Manning family, really. When you think about it, uh, and, and Todd, you think about yep. Archie. I forgot that his, it was his dad John. the number one overall picker. No, no, no. 16. Was, he was a first round pick out of Boston College. First round, okay. Yeah, but he went in the middle of the first right. round out of BC to the Miami Dolphins. So John Bosa, and I looked at the numbers of John compared to, to Joey, and it was very comparable. Of and then you look at, just to go back just from a historical perspective and see about this, this family lineage and to say two kids near, near the top of the board, just like Eli and Peyton with Archie. Now, John went a little lower than Archie. Archie was at the top. John was in the middle. But to have a first-round father and then two sons that are going to be at the, near the top of the board is pretty amazing. You know, Mel- And then his uncle, 
Their yeah. uncle, Eric, yeah, Eric Kummerow, Kummerow. was yeah. a first-round pick in 1988. Yeah, out of Ohio State. Now, he didn't do as well. You know, he, His career didn't go along the way you would have hoped considering he was a first-round pick. But again, when you're good enough to be a first-round pick coming out of college, that tells you about the talent of this family. Hey, Mel, just to cap this as we, as we hit the D-lines, mm-hmm. tell me about Clemson. I mean, obviously didn't have much of a challenge in Week 1 versus Furman, but we're talking about the potential of four guys on one line gone by like i don't know 45 maybe just the end of the second round but elite easily maybe three in the first round yeah and it was good to see i think christian wilkins last week gets off to a really good start in the first game there yeah and you're looking for a more a production there and he did in that game and of course against a&m the competition gets a lot better than what we saw uh, you know this past week against Furman. so again uh, you think about that d line these guys came back when they didn't have to they could have come out and the defensive line would have looked a lot different they're going to be should be a dominant group there's no question about that protect the back end uh, of that defense with as good todd on paper i don't know of many collegiate defensive lines because of these guys decide to go back which would be Farrell and Bryant when Wilkins all decide to go back along with Dexter Lawrence who couldn't have come out but hopefully stays healthy and has the great year he's capable of having like he showed two years ago I don't know from a starting front four this is the college version of the fearsome foursome yeah it's pretty crazy Guys, I want to. Yeah, jump- I think it's going to be interesting. Oh, go ahead, just real quickly, it's going to be interesting. I think Christian Wilkins is a better college player. He's a better player right now. I think the upside is with Dexter Lawrence, and it's tough to evaluate him based off last year. He just was never fully healthy. Mm-hmm. But what he's got to do this year in order to become one of those top five picks and be the first Clemson defensive lineman off the board is he's got to improve his his pass rush ability and be able to stay on the field a little bit longer. And I think that's going to be the big key because, as you know, in the league today, it's great to stop the run and certainly great to have the potential. But if you can't stay on the field and and you're not affecting the pass rush or the pass game all that much, you know, your value is going to drop. So I think that's going to be one interesting part to watch. I'm not as high on Austin Bryant as a lot of other people seem to be, and and I include some NFL scouts that have that area that I've talked to. So maybe I'm missing on Bryant a little bit. I I see the athleticism. Uh, but I, I think Farrell, to me right now, is he's got the he's got the size, the length, the athleticism to be a, a top ten pick as well, and, and belongs kind of where he's ranked. But I I think Austin Bryant's going to be the interesting one, and I think Dexter Lawrence could be the one that becomes the first pick of the group. But he's got to show more this year, whereas Wilkins doesn't quite have that the the tool set that Lawrence has, but he just he's maximized his ability at the college level. And one other guy that we'll throw out there, and Chris uh, Sproul and I mentioned him because Chris watches the Ohio State games intently, is a Draymond Jones <laughs> on that do- defensive line with Nick Bosa. Draymond Jones, in that game, Chris, we saw, and I noticed I brought up to you, making a tackle with 10, 15, 18 yards down the field. So he showed hustle. He got after it. He's got talent. It'll be interesting throughout the year to see if Draymond Jones can be a good complementary piece to what uh, you know Nick is going to be. It's amazing how many of these guys where we, you, you talk, it just, you say scheme versatility, scheme versatility over and over. Uh, obviously it's going to be something that's valuable at the next level, but I think it's become more and more valuable at the college level. Guys, there's coaches that are less afraid to move these guys around. Mel, let's flip it to the other mm-hmm. side of the ball. Sure. We got to hit the quarterbacks. Man, this class, this could, this could go in a lot of different directions. Set it up for us. It's just a fascinating group where you, you could go, if it's total projection and everybody's healthy, a Justin Herbert 
looks high. If it's not, it, it could go either way. What are you? What are we looking at here? Well, it's it's too early right now, but I think we know who the names are. And right. I think the guy, the gunslinger with the big arm, is Drew Locke. I mean, Drew Locke from Missouri, off to a good start. Everybody was going to talk that completion percentage like they did with Josh Allen. It hasn't been as high as you would want it to be for Drew Locke. It's been in that, you know, last year it was around 57, and career-wise he's around 55, 56. Uh, he's off to a good start, 19 to 25, granted, against a different time level of opponent. But he's got weapons. He lost, you know, one top receiver, but he's got Emmanuel Hall. And Emmanuel Hall is a spectacular down-the-field deep threat. Had another big game last week. And Drew Locke, I believe, was like 19 for 25 in that game. We'll see against Wyoming this week how he does. Should have some success there. We'll see. But Drew Locke is the guy with the big arm. Herbert at Oregon and then certainly Jarrett Stidham at Auburn. Todd, you saw Jarrett Stidham last week and get into that. Then you get into Tyree Jackson, the big arm quarterback at Buffalo with tremendous imposing size with Anthony Johnson, the senior receiver. Should be a great pass catch tandem for the Buffalo Bulls. Will Greer, West Virginia, a little bit of Baker Mayfield in him. Off to a nice start based on what we saw against Tennessee. Ryan Finley, NC State's another one to throw in that mix. Uh, and like I say, I think when you look at Nathan Stanley at Iowa from and the Shea Patterson, Michigan, we'll see how they do. But it's a pretty good pretty deep quarterback group. Right now I think at the top you would have a battle between either Drew Locke or Justin Herbert as who will end up being the first quarterback taken. Yeah, I, I think that they have the, the most potential, those two. I think right now if I had to win an NFL game I would go with Ryan Finley from North Carolina State. Really? And again, I, okay. he, does, he, yeah, he doesn't have the arm that those other guys has have, but he has the ability to go through progressions quickly. Playing in what you know, he has NFL style reads, sees the whole field, throws with anticipation. He's shown toughness in the pocket. It's kind of sneaky inside the pocket. I'm not saying he's a great athlete or can run anywhere close to what you see from Herbert in Oregon, but, um, but he's, he's got a little bit of pocket mobility and I, I think he's an accurate passer for the most part. So I, I think he's going to be the one that. We, that is underrated by a lot of people that winds up going higher than, than you might think just, just looking at him watching college football on a Saturday. Nate Stanley to me has a lot more potential than people think too. And I think if, if you look at his, his good games or when he has any kind of protection or his receivers do anything for him, uh, he shows the ability to, to make a lot of throws and, and do a lot of different things. So, and, and I'll be totally honest with you at this point, studying Drew Locke, I was disappointed with the the lack of accuracy. I, I kind of thought he was a poor man's Patrick Mahomes. Now, again, it took me a long time to come around on Mahomes, and I see the potential. Mahomes, is, I did the Kansas City Chiefs preseason. He's still working through the mechanics and, and all of that, but he's come a long way. But whoever gets their hands on Drew Locke at the NFL level was going to have to do a lot of work in terms of bringing him up to speed the NFL passing game and really nailing down his mechanics because he there's a, there are a lot of bad throws on his tape because he's just sloppy with his footwork. Yeah, I think that's where he's got to get up to that 63% rate. And to go back to Finley, I watched that game last week against James Madison, a, a hotly contested, competitive game. They were even without JMU was, without Rashad Robinson, the outstanding corner who's out for the year, mm-hmm. unfortunately, will be back for a fifth season next year. And they played that game really tough, but you're adapting, if you're Finley, you're adapting to an offense that doesn't have Naheem Hines and doesn't have Jalen Samuel. So now you got different guys stepping up. Harmon at wide receiver needs to have a big year, Kelvin Harmon. So we'll see with Finley with some new entities, because he had two guys to lean on last year that were really good college players. How does that offense evolve throughout the year without those two and who emerges to help out Ryan Finley, the transfer from Boise State to NC State, who has done a good job there with the Wolfpack so far. 
Guys, one name we didn't hit, but there's a lot of conversation around him, a lot of questions uh, on his future. Mm -hmm. Will Greer at West Virginia. It's an interesting profile. I'll throw out a a comp, and it's not really an on-field one, but Andy Dalton was drafted as a 24-year-old, I believe. Will Greer, he comes back for that. A lot of people thought he would have jumped into last year's draft. He has that gra- he has that transfer season, so he's going to be in that twenty three twenty four range. You start to question upside, etc. Mel, where do you where do, where does he stand in your pecking order? I tell you what, it's a lot to like about Will Greer. He throws a nice ball. He's accurate. He's precise. He throws with anticipation. He Sills, who I saw, and Todd will say he's not. I saw him play high school football as a quarterback. Here we go. And to see him adjust to a <laughs> wide receiver position was Eastern Christian Red Lion played against Calvert Hall two years in a row against a team that has some NFL guys, and we, it was a great game. There were two great games to watch. And Sills, you thought would be a college quarterback, it didn't work out for him as a quarterback. But but to go to a wide receiver and play the way he is, a great kid. And I'm rooting for the kid to be maybe a second-round draft choice. And have Jennings, Gary Jennings, on the other side. He's got weapons. He's got you just on the offensive line. So, uh, to me, I think the receiving entities help out career, but he also helps them as well with the way he throws the football. He's got a lot of spunk. He's highly competitive. We'll see Ryan Finley and Will Greer on the same field down in Riley at Carter-Finley Stadium next week. West Virginia at NC State. So it'll be a good evaluation game there for those two quarterbacks. I like Will Greer because he looks like McShay in the summer. He's just got like that full beard, ready to go play. (laughs) Solid. (laughs) Guys, Bryce Love last year had an absolutely, I don't know, kind of quiet. I mean, I know he was up there in the Heisman voting, but he had an incredible season. It reminded me a little bit of, Melvin Gordon as a junior where you say, wow, incredible stats, did everything that put yourself into that really rare territory, which was even to be considered in the first round as a running back, and yet there he is back on the farm this year. I mean, the guy averaged over eight yards a carry last year. The big question, and Todd, I know you've pointed this out, I believe he only caught eight passes last year. Part of that's just the offense. That's just Stanford, the way they're going to do, they're going to play a lot of heavy, they're going to throw to their tight ends. I don't know. What is Bryce Love? He didn't have a good week one. Obviously, that doesn't really matter that much. What do you see in terms of the ceiling for this kid? Well, I, you know, I think with Love, he's, he's 5'8", 195 pounds-ish, right around there. He's got the speed. He's obviously, he's got vision. He can be an electrifying runner. His ability to accelerate and get to top speed in a flash, even off of cuts, is really impressive. Now, again... I don't know. It doesn't appear like he's a natural catcher, but when you only have six catches in a season, it's it's tough. And then your frame kind of hinders you in pass protection as well. So his, I mean, his work ethic, his football character, his football intelligence, everything you look for in terms of intangibles, he's got at a very high level, just outstanding. And then the running ability. But I think this year is going to be important for him to show in the passing game that he's improving. You know, he does have. 29 catches over three seasons, but again, only, only six from last year. So that's going to be an area to focus on. But right now, to me, he's, he's the most dynamic explosive running back in this class. And, and after that, I think you start to look at like Rodney Anderson from, from Oklahoma. I, I should say Damian Harris first from Alabama. And I think, uh, I think after that would be Anderson. Those would be my top three running backs. I mean, I can go down a big list of, of guys, but I think there's a little bit of a drop off after those first three. It just to go back to love, that San Diego State defense, 
understood what they had to do in that game, and they did it very effectively. Arcega Whiteside made some big catches in the second half. David Shaw made adjustments because San Diego State has no passing game. So they stacked the box, handled the run, which they did in the second half, and they dominated the game after a, a first half that looked like San Diego State could play with them for four quarters. But the love, you can't run against a brick wall. That's what was happening in that game. Uh, you had 18 carries for what, 29 yards at 1.6-yard average, three catches out of the backfield for 18 yards. That's where you want to see it, Todd. More catches, more opportunities out of the backfield. He blocked in that game very effectively for Costello. Uh, he's a young and Aaron. He, he did a good job in pass protection situations. So I think when you look at Bryce Love, if this offense can allow him, and San Diego State, Parker Baldwin uh, all over the field for San Diego State in that game wreaking havoc, that's a good defense. And it's a tough team to play starting out. They play USC, Stanford does this week. They're at Oregon, at Notre Dame before we even get into October. So we'll have three games, USC, at Oregon, at Notre Dame, to see if Bryce Love can can get it going, but in order to get it going, you got to get some help from your offensive line, and uh, that's all he needs. Uh, give him a little crease, and he'll go the distance. But he was contained. I'll give you get Jalen Moore at App State did a nice job running against Penn State. Uh, Brown and I were talking about Artavis Pierce from Oregon State, the junior, the speed he showed in that game. Miles Sanders, Penn State, stepping in, the junior for Saquon Barkley. Nice start to his career. Lexington Thomas, UNLV against USC, did a nice job. So a lot of backs other than the elite guys that came up uh, with productive uh, games in their first uh, start this particular year. Guys, real quick, let's jump to the wide receivers. Herm's got a good one in Keel Harry. If anybody saw Ole Miss versus Texas Tech, a track meet, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss stood out there. Mel, who are the top wide receivers in this class, the first-round types? Well, I think you look at, at A.J. Brown, obviously, with that big frame, and he was off to a good start against Texas Tech, who obviously has defensive issues. All of those receivers. Lodge had six catches. He's a senior, Demarcus Lodge. Brown in that game had seven catches. He's the true junior. And D.K. Metcalf, who, Todd, watch out for him. He's a third-year sophomore. I know. I, I noticed him. <laughs> yeah, you probably – I know I scout. I don't know if you were scouting. You might have still been in the fifth grade then. But Terrence Metcalf uh, yep. came at his father out of Ole Miss, an offensive lineman, I believe was a third-round draft choice into the NFL. So, And, and really, with, when you think about Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson was part of this old Miss receiving core. He's at Florida. He had a couple touchdowns last week. His father, Sean Jefferson, came out of Central oh Florida, played a long time in the NFL. So old Miss with the talent that they bring in. You go back to the years with Tunsil and, and Treadwell, and now have Greg Little, the offensive lineman, and this group of receivers. Pretty impressive. And I think you look at Harry at Arizona State. They play Michigan State this week at home. That's going to be a great game. Late night, Saturday night in Tempe. I believe I had re- heard that they're 9-0, Arizona State is, against Big Ten in Tempe historically. So if Michigan State wins, they would make history, being the first Big Ten team to beat Arizona State in Tempe. Marquise Brown at Oklahoma with the speed to burn, obviously, is an underclassman to watch. From a senior standpoint, Anthony Johnson, I alluded to him earlier, out of Buffalo. Great to see Debo Samuel back, working opposite Brian Edwards. Samuel's healthy with Edwards. That gives them a really good tandem of wide receivers for Jake Bentley against this week against the Georgia Bulldogs. That's one of the, the highlighted games. That's a 3.30 kickoff down at Williams-Brice Stadium. Another receiver, I mentioned David Sills from West Virginia. Watch out for him. Keelan Doss, Todd, a kid out of Cal Davis. They ended up. <laughs> Winning their first game of the year. A little bit of an upset there against a 1A opponent. Keelan Doss from Cal Davis has a chance to maybe get into the third-round discussion. I think you hit him all, Mel. Yeah, I mean, leave a little meat on the bone next time, Kuiper. Hey, to- hey, Todd, I will let you jump on this. The offensive tackle class last year in the draft was, I want to say dreadful. It just never written. Nobody really emerged to get into that range that we expect the top five tops. This year... 
Mel mentioned Greg Little, but there's some other names. It suddenly looks like there's a pretty good tackle class with the big caveat. Guy you were supposed to see this weekend, Trey Adams from Washington, out. He was out with an ACL last year. Now it looks like the back. So that could take a hit. But anybody else we should be looking at? Well, I, when you look at this group, Adams is, is going to be one of them. I think uh, Greg Little, as you mentioned, from Ole Miss is, is a first-rounder. Jonah Williams from Alabama is another player I, I really liked on tape. He continues to improve. He's got really good experience at this point and will continue to get more this year. So those are three guys I think that have a legit, legitimate chance to be in the first round. And then you've got some more depth, too, guys like – David Edwards from Wisconsin, um, Isaiah Prince from Ohio State. Washington's got another offensive tackle that some guys think is just as good as Trey Adams and uh, Kayla McGarry uh, at the right side. So there's some more depth to this group than, than we're used to seeing. And we've also, you know, when you look at it, tackles and offensive linemen in, in general have become more and more difficult to find in terms of NFL guys, I mean, last year we had what one, uh, two tackles drafted in the first round, McGlinchey and Miller. The year before that, it was just two in the first round, Bulls and, and uh, Ramchek, and, and that was twenty and thirty-two overall. I mean, we had four back in twenty sixteen, three the year before that, and you know, it's so like it's just the last two years where the numbers don't stack up. We were averaging about four, five, five guys a year, and now we're in the last couple of years talking about just just a couple in the first round. So it. You know, it, I think it's because of the offenses. We can get in a whole philosophical thing, but at the end of the day, there's frustration in the NFL with the lack of qualified, ready offensive tackles and offensive linemen in general that are coming out of the college ranks these days and how hard it is to develop them at the NFL level when they get there. Yeah, one other guy that I highlighted on ESPN.com after the game, uh, Todd, was, and Chris, was Alex Bars, the guard from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You, know, you lose Quentin Nelson, you lose Mike McGlinchey, and he stepped into that role and did a really good job against that talented Michigan defensive front. So Alex Bars brings versatility, he's played tackle guard, done a lot of things in a, in a, in a line uh, when he got in terms of the NFL. And on the offensive line, when you bring that kind of versatility and talent, uh, Alex Bars is a kid that uh, will be a name to remember. As Notre Dame moves along here, they're really key on two games now that they beat Michigan, key on the Stanford game, key on the USC game at the end of the year. No championship game because they're independent to worry about. Uh, Notre Dame has a great opportunity now to run the Don't table. Don't get ahead do. of yourself, hey, Piper. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm a Notre Dame fan, Todd. I didn't think they'd beat Michigan. I wasn't hey, aware of that. I had no idea. You didn't know that. Okay. He's from Baltimore. Uh, he, he's being sarcastic. He knew that. But as far as, <laughs> as far as, as, I missed that sarcasm, Todd. But bottom line, I'm sure you I, do. I, I do, Val. Uh, you think about bars. If, if they do run the table, he will be a key component because he is a big time stud offensive lineman it's good to see him off to a great start all right mel you can lead this off because i know mm-hmm. devin white was one of yours i want to just throw out a, maybe one or two names that early on you might be a little bit higher on than the rest of the field i know we're really early on but just guys you've seen or study where you just go man I, I really like that guy and you know everybody on this draft board there's a huge range on everybody outside of you know the Boses and the Olivers, it's all we'll see. But anybody who really stands out where you think, man, I really like this guy and I don't even really know where the field is on him. Now you're talking about any position now, right? Any position. Any Just position. a guy that somebody's going to say, oh, that Mel loves that guy. 
Wow. I already mentioned Emmanuel Hall from Missouri. I right. like, I want to see him moving forward. Just product prevents big, gives you big play after big play. Uh, you know, James Gardner, wide receiver, Miami of Ohio. I think you look at a guy I highlighted as well, Emmanuel Butler from Northern Arizona coming off the injury. Had a great start to the season for Northern Arizona, their wide receiver. I think when you look at the, the offensive linemen in general, it's a pretty decent group. Uh, I think the kid that when you look at the offense, I mentioned Alex Bars already. Keegan Render moving the center to anchor that Iowa offense. Defensive line, we'll certainly want to watch him as we move along there. I think defensively, Jalen Ferguson's a pass rusher out of Louisiana Tech. We saw Marcus Davenport come out of Texas San Antonio, get into the middle of the first round. New Orleans actually gave up a first round pick this year to get him. Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana Tech has that kind of explosive pass rush ability from the outside to keep an eye on there. Uh, if you look at the secondary tie, then I'll turn it over to you for guys that you think are a little bit better than advertised. You don't leave any? <laughs> you know, Tom's going to second- be down to Blisson Austin from Rutgers. <laughs> hey, hey. Julian- take, just to pick up 22 guys, one in each position. Mel. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw one out there. Julian Love, cornerback from Notre Dame. Okay, right. Another, another key entity for the Fighting Irish in that secondary. Go ahead, Todd. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's go secondary first. I'll say DeAndre Baker from Georgia is a player. I, you know, you look at him, height, weight, speed, just okay. You know, he's, he's quick, and I, I think he's the most instinctive corner in, that I studied, at least in this class, maybe in a couple years. I mean, this guy is just the way he plays, just reading routes, understanding what receivers are trying to do, understanding concepts and, and what, what the offense in general is trying to do, advanced beyond his years. And I, I was really impressed watching his tape. And, and I think, you know, Greedy Williams is certainly, I think we all agree he's the most talented in the in the entire class at the cornerback position, but um, but I think behind him, DeAndre Baker's a, a player to watch at corner. Could be a late first sec- or second round pick. Reminds me a little bit of Jordan Lewis, who has played well with the Cowboys. He obviously had the off the field issue that allowed him to fall a little bit. But I always thought that Lewis was one of the best forty or so players in that draft a couple years ago, and. And I think DeAndre Baker, if you watched that Mississippi State tape from a year ago, you'll be really impressed. Zach Allen, I already mentioned from Boston College, I think it's very much underrated as a potential later first, second round pick at the, as a, a left defensive end type. And then I would say it, it, um, a defensive end, there's some guys that I, that I liked. It didn't love, but I liked, um, Montez Sweat was another guy that I, I liked. I think he has some some ability to continue to develop. At safety, there are two guys that I really like that I think that are underrated. One, John Abram from Mississippi State. This guy, he didn't even start all the time last year, but he came in and he's just so loaded physically in terms of his tools. I think he's a guy that's going to rise uh, as the season goes on. And then Lucas Dennis from Boston College as well. BC's got, still got a pretty good defense on, on that team. I gave him an early third-round grade as a player that I didn't really know anything about coming into the process. But I, I thought he, with the range he had, the ability to cover and do different things, I was impressed. So there's about five or six names to go with Mel's 50. That's pretty good. All right. <laughs> Real quickly, let's wrap this sucker up. Mel, I put you to sleep. <laughs> I'm here, pal. <laughs> you guys don't want mine. So tell you always what, Mel, entertained. Always Mel, entertained. you got to get us kicked off. So we did this. We we haven't done a we haven't done a podcast in a long like time. <laughs> NFL season starts tonight. Who uh-huh. are who are you going to go with for rookie of the year on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball? Mel, putting you on the spot. 
I have no idea. All I'm thinking about is this draft coming up. I haven't even thought about the previous draft. You haven't let, thought about let, Saquon I'll, Barkley catching 75 passes? I haven't thought about any of this. Oh, I haven't man. thought about any of that. Todd, have you thought about it? I haven't. I'm, I'm strictly worrying about guys, for you know, the under-the-radar guys and sleepers <laughs> for, for the draft. I haven't even thought about rookies of the year candidates. Normally, this is what you do, Todd. Take a running back or take a pass rusher. There you go. And if you go pass, they, they usually Bradley step it into Chubb, a good Saquon job. Barkley, there you pass go. Pass rusher, running back, I think you're pretty safe. What about a linebacker like Roquan Smith? Now he's plugging. Plug. I'll go. Yeah, Roquan Minka Fitzpatrick could with the the Dolphins. Yep. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back to Sam Darnold. Jets. He's gonna get the start. I mean, if that team even if that yeah, team even not, wins right? six games and he stays on through it, you you probably got to give him the nod. Yeah, and I think in the game against the Detroit Lions, pass rush has been an issue for them. Obviously, you think about the Lions challenge in a lot of ways in terms of getting after the quarterback and protection and all that. So it is an opportunity for Darnold, I think, not to be roughed up in that first week where, and this is Todd, Chris and I were talking about this. Give me your pick. When we're talking, we're in Nashville, the end of April, okay? When we're in Nashville for the 2019 mm-hmm. NFL draft, what team is going to be on the clock picking number one? Well, which team will be on the clock as soon as the season ends, basically? Oh, jeez. It's pretty impossible. I'll help you out here. I'll give you my pick. Go ahead, Mo. The Dolphins? Whoa, oh, Buffalo. You're in the neighborhood. Buffalo Bills. Playoff, the playoff Bills? Playoff Bills minus Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, I can see it. Who's going to start all those games at quarterback, Mel? Peterman, I would say, yeah, Nate <laughs> Peterman's a starting quarterback. It's against the, look at that schedule for the, yeah, first, look, look at the schedule for the first eight weeks of the season for the Buffalo Bills and find me a win. I don't have that in front of me, Mel. I did. I looked at it. That's <laughs> why I said, don't put the rookie out there. Put Nate Peterman or AJ McCarron. They end up trading AJ McCarron to the Oakland Raiders for a fifth round pick. So it's right now, it's Nate Peterman's job for as long as he I can. I thought we were about to do that open. show or. I'm so glad we didn't do that show where you, you sit there and go through the first eight games and list them. I thought for sure we were headed down that road. I was going nice job, Mel. See, I shocked you, didn't I? I'll go Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> I'll fade the Cardinals. Arizona, huh? Really? I think Arizona could be a little better. If they can keep Bradford healthy, uh, they might be a little there, bit better. There, I'm, I'm saying, you look at the entire, and this includes the Browns, you look at the entire NFL, I can't give you a team that's a lock for like only three wins. It's impossible. You basically need a quarterback to get hurt. So I'll go with the Arizona Cardinals. Todd? I think you said Miami. I Listen, I, I I think it's tougher. I already said Miami. I, I think oh, okay. that, that could be, especially if, okay. if Tannehill... If Tannehill can't stay boy. healthy, that's I think things could implode. That's your boy, and you're going against your boy. I like Tannehill. When he's healthy, the, they're, the they're okay. But look, at a, look around him. <laughs> look, a, look around him, Kuiper. What have they done to get better? That's that's the scary part. I mm-hmm. I worry about I worry about where they're headed. And, and Tannehill, just part of it's his fault, yes, but he, he's been taking a punishment the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, not, I mean, before last year started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So Arizona, Buffalo, and Miami, three teams that we all feel are in play to have the number one pick overall. Somebody's going to trade into that spot. We'll see. Mel. Yes, sir. It's been good. You Always got, a pleasure. Got, when are we doing this again? Got about 45 we're, we're, names out there. We, yeah, when are we doing it again? We'll do it on, uh, say, December. December 1st, the unofficial kickoff to draft season. Mm-hmm. And then poor McShay's got that mock draft like two weeks later. Get a bunch of call, coaches calling him. Be great. My Christmas tree will be up. Can't wait. 
Todd, have fun in Houston watching Ed Oliver chase. Uh, can I promo this, around? by the way? Khalil Tate. Can I promo this? Yeah, go around? ahead. I'm going to be talking about it a lot on Daria Mel Saturday, but everybody wants to watch this. And I'm telling you, because this guy does a great job of telling me he, he was a phenomenal sideline guy. Now he's stepping up. He's going in the booth. Tell us with, Jeter Todd. With, with Steve Levy for a high noon kickoff, Arizona at Houston, Saturday afternoon. Todd McShay calling a game with Steve Levy. You don't want to miss that because McShay has been brilliant. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not saying he did a phenomenal job on the sidelines. He earned this right to be in the booth. Brian Gracie doing the Monday night game. You told me the Raiders and the Rams uh, Monday night. Yep. Good luck, pal. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it. I think it, it sucks. Looking forward to it. Todd won't be able to do a Lambo leap into the crowd and the temperature probably no. be about 105 degrees. That game's going to have the my, all-time uh, highest My vertical has declined anyway, and it wasn't good then. <laughs> Yep. I will make sure, Todd, you have the all-time highest college football rating ever. I love it, Kuiper. Wow. Keep it up. <laughs> Got it, Val. Tune in to Dari and Mel. I'm Chris Brow, Todd McShay, Mel Kuiper. That's a wrap on a uh, tight first draft podcast to get the season kicked off. I don't think you'll need to listen to anything until December. Thanks for listening to First Draft. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash podcenter.